You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. And gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I, I got to be honest, man. It's, it's one of those things where I'm still struggling. And I think the fan base in general is struggling because there's this weird feeling of like we're excited, but we're a little unsure and uneasy and also somewhat disappointed in certain aspects of the team, that which is varying. And I'm planning on doing some stuff on Patreon, trying to get a gauge on things because, you know, you got some people that are high on Stokes, some people are low on Stokes, some people really like what King is doing, especially last week. Some people are furious. You know, Mason, Rashawn, uh, you know, the, the offensive line. But again, you know my buzzword for this year, which was not planned. It's just one of those things, but it's perspective, that and grit, I guess. And so I just I just want to go over this. And again, it's 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 not that you don't know. It's just that I think you need to hear it because when I looked at it, I was kind of stunned. And I do want to go over some of the games that happened this past Sunday. Again, mostly for the sake of perspective, um, but it's it's pretty wild. So first of all, just so we're clear, the Green Bay Packers are four and one. There's only one team that's better than 4-1 and one in the entire NFL, and that's the Cardinals are 5-0. and oh. That's it, which is really rare, by the way. I don't have any data to back that up, but I think you know. And if you want to fight me on it, then I guess I'm just going to have to go dig up some stats. I just didn't feel like it. But I just want to go through this because it's kind of crazy. So the Packers are 4-1, are and one, as you know. We've, we've lost Jair. We lost Bakhtiari. We lost Elton Jenkins. Um, we lost our center, uh, Josh Myers. We lost our speed threat at wide receiver, MVS. We lost Zadarius Smith. We lost uh, Chauncey Rivers, another edge rusher. Jair, I think I said already. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. And yet, despite all the adversity, the Packers are sitting at 4-1. and one. They're right there with the Cardinals, right there with the Rams, right there with the Buccaneers are 4-1. and one. But look at some of these other teams. The Cowboys also in the NFC are 4-1. and one. The, L, uh, the uh, Seattle Seahawks right now are 2-3, and three, as are the San Francisco 49ers. Think about that. It was not that long ago that everybody thought the 49ers were going to whoop on the Packers. Remember that? The 49ers are a powerhouse. They're back now that they're healthy. Kyle Shanahan's going to show the world all that nonsense. It's really going to happen. It's really going down. They're 2-3. and three. The Seattle Seahawks, a team that I've been sort of for about eight years now, predicting their downfall. <laughs> it's just been the slowest collapse in history. Um, they're two and three, and it's not looking super great. The Minnesota Vikings, who I think most people considered probably the most likely team to actually compete with the Packers, although a lot of very, well, I, I, I'll, I'll be nice because some Packer fans weren't optimistic about the season either, but um, some people didn't necessarily think the Packers would do well this year. However, for the most part, the Vikings were supposed to be a top team. The Vikings, and they are a good team. I mean, historically and everything, they're two and three right now. Flip over to the AFC. Not that it's super surprising, but it makes me feel happy saying it. The Patriots are two and three. Longtime powerhouse. The Kansas City Chiefs are not only two and three, they're dead last in their own division. The Chargers are four and one. The Broncos are three and two. The Raiders are three and two. The Chiefs are dead last 
talk about predictions. I told you last year this was coming. The Steelers, a team predicted to do well, for by, I have no idea why, because they're not very good, but a lot of people didn't realize how bad the offense was, thought that they'd be really solid this year, two and three. Tennessee Titans and the AFC South are the only team with three wins. Nobody else has even two. And, and, and you know, we're up against some teams that are, I don't want to say they're at full strength, but they haven't faced near the adversity we have. You know, who, who's the biggest name on IR for the Cardinals right now? I can read you the list, and, and I can tell you with absolute certainty that I'm not positive who any of these guys are. Justin Murray, Charles Washington, Josh Miles, Jordan Phillips, and Jack Crawford. I know the last two, Jordan Phillips and Jack Crawford. I know their names, but I don't really know who that is. And again, like I said, it's not so much that the Packers have the most injuries. It's that the the how substantial the injuries are is crazy. The quality of the players that are injured. Jair Rivers, MVS, Zadarius, uh, I mean, Daphne also is on there. The Cowboys are without Demarcus Lawrence, which is which is big. But I mean, that's, okay, so that's Zadarius. What else? Are they missing their number one corner? No. How about your premier left tackle? No. That's it. So whatever the issues, whatever it is that you might look at and say, I'm not quite happy with that, um, again, perspective. There's nothing written that says the Packers must be 5-0 and right now. And again, just look, just look at what happened this past week. The Seattle Seahawks fell to the division rival, only scoring 17 points. That sucks. I mean, and, and where do you go if you're Seattle? You know what I mean? What, what is your hope? Who's your future quarterback? They don't have one. They have Russell, and he's going to be there for a very long time, they hope, and he's not even getting it done. That would be like us having Aaron Rodgers and everything else is falling apart around Aaron Rodgers, and you have no ability to draft. Oh, wait, we've been in that position before. It's not a good feeling. And maybe they should do what I've been saying they should have done the last five years now. Dump your GM and uh, start over. But, you know, that's not my problem. The point is, the Seahawks franchise is in a downward spiral. The Packers are still a team that is capable of winning it all if they can stay healthy and hopefully get some of their guys back. I mean, the Minnesota Vikings barely, barely beat the Detroit Lions. Barely. It's an embarrassment. And, and there's videos of them celebrating and, and, you know, the quarterback and head coach basically getting into some kind of weird celebratory fist fight on the sideline over a two-point game-winning field goal win over the Detroit Lions. What is their future? Where are they going in life? <laughs> Where do they see themselves in 10 years? With a new team, new quarterback, new head coach, new everybody, I guess? I don't know. Denver Broncos are supposed to be some kind of a hot ticket. They just got beat by Pittsburgh. In fact, not only did they get beat by Pittsburgh, they allowed 27 points to the, one of the most pathetic offenses I've seen in forever. And Denver's claim to fame is their defense. That's an embarrassment. Carolina, another team that it's like, I don't understand why they're good, but somehow, I mean, Carolina and Denver, the same thing, like their record looks good and they're doing things that are working and I don't really understand it, but kudos. They got beat by Philadelphia. They scored 18 points in that game. Maybe it's because Christian McCaffrey is the only thing that works on that entire team. Cleveland Browns, another team where it's like, man, they got everything. Remember, do you remember when they played the Bears and because everyone is a Justin Fields sycophant? We started talking about how this is, this is, it's not the Steelers, it's the Browns that are the greatest defense in football. You got to watch out for the Browns. The Browns defense allowed 47 points against the Chargers. They scored 42 points and lost. Think about that for a minute. What if that was the Packer game? Where would we be? Packer fans right now are mad because we allowed 22 points. The Cleveland Browns scored 42 points and lost. Where would we be right now? They have Miles Garrett on their team. They have 
um, a, a premier corner in Denzel Ward and drafted a first-round corner just like we did. So they basically have the same situation we have. They got a guy they really like. They got a first-round pick they really like. They got one of the best pass rushers in football. They got a whole bunch of stuff working on that defense. They gave up 47 points. Where would you be right now as a Packer fan? Complete, utter despair. We're done. We're doomed. Fire the defensive coordinator, et cetera, et cetera. But again, the, the funny thing is we can sit here and look at that and go, oh, that's crazy, but they'll bounce back. They'll be all right. I mean, they're probably not going to win a Super Bowl, but they might. Who knows? They're, they're crazy, man. They can score a bunch of points. Defense can be good at times. They might. You never know. We need to start viewing the Packers like we view every other team. You know, the Raiders got a night, you know, the, the, the white hot Raiders just got embarrassed by the Chicago Bears. No, I don't necessarily expect to bounce back, but who cares? Same with the Bears win. Like, wow, congratulations. You got 20 whole points. Oh, wow. Way to go. Granted, most teams would have beat you, um, only scoring 20 points, the Chargers and Cleveland and Tennessee and Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and Green Bay and Tampa Bay and Houston and New England and Washington and New Orleans and Atlanta uh, and the uh, Rams, um, the uh, Dallas Cowboys and Buffalo, all scored more more than enough points to beat you in that game. But hey, the Raiders only got nine and you won. Congratulations, and I'm, I'm very happy for you. Speaking of being a Raiders fan, with all that email stuff going around, how much does that suck? You get a glimpse of like, man, maybe we're a good team. Quarterback's playing well. Offense is doing stuff. Defense is looking electric. And then you put up nine points against the Bears, and your head coach is about to get fired for, uh, you know, emails from 15 years ago. 49ers, again, just brutal. I mean, not only... I mean, it, think about how bad this is. And, and again, it was just a matter of a couple of weeks ago that the 49ers are going to be on top of the world, right? This electric offense is coming back. They just drafted their quarterback of the future. This defense is going to be one of the best in football. We've got the greatest head coach in NFL history. I mean, it's like Vince Lombardi, um, you know, John Madden and Kyle Shanahan or whatever. I don't know. I don't know where John Madden ranks, but he's he's an awesome dude. And I think he should be number two behind Vince because I like him and I wish he was commentating again. And just a few short weeks later, where are we? They lost 17-10. to 10, And their um, starting quarterback, this great quarterback that they're all excited about that's going to usher them into a new era, a new future of greatness and wins and glory, um, he doesn't really even play very much. 15 of 29, we're talking 50% completion percentage for 192 yards, 6.6 average, no touchdowns and a pick, and he's hurt. And again, um, you played a division rival, the Arizona Cardinals, right, for, for dominance and supremacy um, in your division and in the NFC and in the NFL. We're going to show the world. We're going we're gonna to prove to everybody. And uh, their defense only allows 17 points to a very electric offense, and you still lose because your offense is that pathetic because your genius uh, offensive-minded head coach couldn't quite put together a game plan to score more than 10 points. In fact, you were scoreless in the first half. It's the 49ers. Again, I understand this is a Packers podcast, but this is, this is just about perspective. This is about understanding, getting us outside of our own little bubble, right? Because we're in our own little bubble, and we look at stuff and we, we just say, man, it feels bad, you know? We won. We only scored 20, only allowed 22 points. We got to 25 despite the injuries and all the other issues, and we're 4-1. and one. And again, Kansas City, I mean, how, how fast did they fall from, from the top team in football? The top quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. And they just, they rush right to the Super Bowl. They win a Super Bowl and everyone was positive they'd go back to back. 
You start to see the cracks toward the end of the season. You start to see it a little bit in the in the playoffs. Then they get embarrassed in the Super Bowl and now have a losing record after just five weeks, getting absolutely annihilated by the Buffalo Bills, a team that you trampled on to get into the Super Bowl. The Packers are doing fine. They're not perfect, just like nobody is perfect. Everybody except the Cardinals has a loss. Everybody has a game that's cause for reflection, cause for pause. And even Arizona, you only scored 17 points. Supposedly dominant elite offense. Why did you only score 17 points? Well, it's just because, you know, the uh, obviously the, their defense is so dominant. That's why. Really? Because the Seahawks scored 28 and the Packers scored 30 and the Lions scored 33. So run that back one more time for me. Explain to me again why you had only 17 points. Again, it it at least gives you pause. Think about it from the perspective of if this was the Packers. It's going to inspire a little bit of fear in you, and and, and that's fair, and all the fear and all that stuff is fair to have. I just want you to understand that everybody has to go through that because it's football, because it's, it's a game that is filled with adversity and highs and lows and all that stuff. And the important part, like we've said a thousand times already, is the grit factor, which means when the chips are down, you still find a way to come out and win, like the Cardinals did. This was clearly not the best performance they've ever had. Clearly against this common opponent, the 49ers had some stuff up their sleeves. They knew how to contain the Cardinals. They knew how to essentially shut down one of the top offenses in all of football and prevent them from scoring more than 17 points. Arizona Cardinals, by the way, um, still after that performance, fourth highest scoring offense because they put up 38, 34, 31, and 37 against all these other teams. It makes you nervous, but at the same time, you know what? We did enough to win the game. That's what matters, and the Packers are finding a way. I don't know how we win next week or the week after the week after. I don't know what injuries are coming, what horrible officiating crews are coming up. I don't know what kind of crazy twists and turns. I don't know which players are going to have good days or bad days. Maybe Rodgers has a bad day, and then we got to rely on somebody else. I don't know what's going to happen, but the point is, this is the kind of team that's been able to rise up. And maybe, just maybe, as we start to get some players back, and we start to get into our groove, and we start to get into more efficiency and things of that nature... This team does start to emerge as one of the top teams in football, which they already are. But I mean, you know, top two, not two territory, you know, and really none of that matters. It really doesn't. I mean, it feels good. But at the end of the day, what does it really matter where they rank, right? The Chiefs were ranked guaranteed to win another Super Bowl. Who cares? Nobody cares. Didn't do them any good. Packers, very highly touted, definitely thought they were going to win, blah, 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 blah. They didn't, right? It doesn't matter. None of that matters. They're doing a great job, and they all deserve a lot of credit. Even the guys that aren't exactly doing perfect, whether it's Rashawn, King, Stokes, the offensive line, whoever, they're doing enough to show up when it matters, how it matters, getting the job done and getting the wins, because that's what matters. It's not about winning pretty, it's about winning. Anyways, feels like a good enough spot to uh, take a little break. If you wouldn't mind doing me a couple big favors. Number one, if you'd like to, you can support me directly on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. It's just a place where you can sign up on a month-to-month subscription. Obviously, there's no reason that you have to do that because the podcasts are free. It's just a way of saying this guy works real hard. He does this every single day. I want to just help him out. Here's a buck a month. And if you do that, again, I've been trying to do a little bit better as far as getting in there, doing polls getting the questions and all that kind of stuff directly from Patreon so that the people that do support me um, get my support and get to participate in this show uh, before everybody else. The most important thing, though, not to diminish my patrons, but the absolute most important thing you can do to help support this podcast is to spread the word, let everybody know. Um, 
Things are going great right now for the podcast. Things are looking up. I just had a meeting, uh, first time ever, kind of just started pounding my fist a little bit, told the people I wanted to have a meeting, but with the people that uh, own the network and had a very good meeting with them about uh, direction and uh, growth and more importantly, money. (laughs) I would like more, please. But uh, they've been very happy with the, the growth of the show. And I will say we're, we're just about to the point where if we could just double where we're at, just double it, we're kind of home free, which is crazy to say because we got this far. If we can do it one more time, if we could just double the numbers legitimately, not saying I would quit my job, but we're, we're at that point where it financially could work. And that's, that's an amazing thing. And that's a crazy thing. And, and really, again, all I need from you is to tell one person, tell one person, hey, check out the Packernet podcast makes the entire world of difference in my life. If you happen to be a room full of 10 people, that works too. Cover up for some of the people that are choosing not to. That's fine. Anyways, just wanted to get that out there. Uh, We'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Uh, before we get into PFF stuff, which I know is what a lot of you are here for, and we're going we're gonna to go through all that, why we took somewhat of an early break. I do want to go over a little bit of the notes from uh, the press conferences and whatnot. Just kind of rip through that. There was also a message on Patreon. I want to go through that and then we'll get into PFF. But starting off with head coach Matt LaFleur, this by the way is compliments of Mr. Tom Silverstein. I'm kind of just being lazy and letting him do the work for me. But he says Packers head coach Matt LaFleur said cornerback Kevin King played really well and was basically playing with one arm for most of the game. Quote, it was unfortunate that happened, end quote. This is actually the second week in a row that he's highlighted somebody. Maybe it was two weeks ago. I don't know. But he's highlighted somebody, especially somebody that is not liked very much by the fan base. It was Kevin King and Billy Turner. But they did it on weeks when PFF actually agreed that they had played really well. Somebody had sent me that, hey, he, he said Billy, Billy Turner did really well, did he? And I was like, oh, I'm sure PFF's going to say he was terrible because they always do. And then it's going to be a big conflict. No, they said, no, he did a great job. Just highlighting that for the anti-PFF people. Their grading system doesn't seem to be all that different. <laughs> I'm sure it's different, but not all that different. LaFleur said he loved the way that cornerback Eric Stokes challenged Bengals wide receiver Jamar Chase. I thought he competed at the highest level, he said. He said the back shoulder play Chase caught was an impressive play by the rookie receiver. Kind of echoed what I said more or less yesterday. Um, he's right there on every single play. Almost every single pass that he gives up, he's right there. There was Maybe this is the back shoulder he was talking about. I'm not really sure, but there was one play... Where again, I, I remember saying out loud, man, he was right there. There's not too much you can ask of that. But on top of that, almost instinctively, as he's going to make a tackle, he punches and actually punches the football. I mean, it's just such a, it was like a one-two, you know, one arm, 
grab him the other arm as it's like wrapping around to make a tackle it just punches at the ball and he did hit it Jamar just secured it so um again it's it's one of those things where it's it's right there it's, it's like a coin flip and it's just coming up tails a lot heads being good tails being bad but if it just goes the other way you know just if a couple of those things broke the other way he had an unbelievable game and he did have a fine game again he probably could have had a pick if he just wasn't busting as fast as he possibly could to cover Jamar Chase because that ball was underthrown that changes the dynamic of things etc cetera, etc cetera. so um I'm really I'm really not as worried he might he might be a terrible football player for the rest of his life I don't know but it just feels different than King King was one of those guys where it seems like everything's fine no big deal and then all of a sudden he gives up that big 60 yard pass play and it's, he just gets he bites on a double move and just gets absolutely killed I haven't seen that yet it's gonna happen Every corner ever, Darrell Rivas, I'm guarantees at some point in his career, he got beat on a double move real bad. It's going to happen. The point is, though, I haven't really seen a lot of that from Stokes yet. LeFleur said he didn't like a couple of the play calls in the red zone he made, quote, we're best when we have the ability to get to a pass when we need when we need be and have some of those plays where you have the best look possible and have it. Is this the sentence he said or what's happening right now? My brain is broken trying to read that. Bottom line, he wasn't happy with some of the play calls. Fine, done, got it. You go read it and you figure out if you can make sense of that. I have no idea what that sentence says. Um, second time in a row that I've heard him say this or something to this effect. And and again, I've kind of said this, and I was talking to my buddy Blaine who was here. He, he was kind of seeing the same things. A lot of people are kind of seeing this, which bodes very well for the defense overall. But here's what he says. LeFleur said he thought the play calls in the red zone were good on defense, but he said not every player carried out the correct assignment on some of the plays. We're seeing a lot of that. Everybody seems to be in a good spot. The the one highlight, if you're not exactly sure what I'm talking about, if you have the ability to with Game Pass or whatever, just go on YouTube and try to find it. Look at the Packers game in the NFC Championship game against the 49ers. If you have, if, if you have the emotional... Um, strength to go watch that go watch our defensive line and watch I've never seen anything like that in my life as, as watching football my entire life I've never seen anything like that as, as bad as that defensive line was at doing anything there were basically five wide open gaps for a running back to run through at any given time on any given play in that game with this it seems like there's really only one place to go and it's our defense dictating to the running back saying there's your hole right there go for it and as he's running to it, we have a linebacker who is untouched running to that hole, and it's his job to make a tackle. And again, sometimes he doesn't. And when he doesn't, you're in a lot of trouble because everybody else is busy doing their job, you know, keeping that linebacker clean for one thing, um, ushering the running back to the linebacker this is the other thing. If he doesn't make a play, you're kind of in a lot of trouble. So, I mean, that's just one example, but it, it is really solid because you, you have a defensive coordinator that's putting his his players in a position to succeed they just have to execute and that's fantastic Lafleur said he left the stadium yesterday wishing he had given the ball to running back AJ Dillon more than 12 times he said his receiving talent has been evident and they feel confident in his skills in that aspect of the game no kidding no kidding that guy's it's some of those passes were were unnecessarily hard for him to catch you know where he's got to sky up and get it but he doesn't, he doesn't, I shouldn't even say it because I'm worried it's a, it's a jinxy thing, but he doesn't drop anything. And, you know, it's another thing where he's got that Mercedes Lewis ability where you get him out in the flat away from defensive tackles and edge rushers where he's running up against maybe linebackers, but mostly corners and safeties. You like that matchup a lot. So, and again, yeah, as far as just wanting more than 12 carries, 
again, he's he's a momentum guy. You give the more carries you give him, the better he gets. That's why he's a great fourth quarterback. Just just ride him in the fourth quarter. Give him over and over and over again. He's just going to keep getting better. Oh man, <laughs> I just saw New York Times Sports um, talking about the emails that Gruden has sent out. Apparently, going well beyond what we already know. Um, going on racist tirades, uh, tirades against gay people, women, and concussion safety. It's one of those things where at the time, one off-color joke, you figure they'll probably just brush it off. But uh, there is definitely a line here, and I, I, I haven't seen the emails, but yikes. You have to think. <laughs> we may have crossed that line. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, you got to see the context. Do you, though? Do you have to see the context? I mean, you should have to, but let, let's, let's just be completely honest about this. In 2021, do you need to see the context? The answer is no. Nobody wants to see the context. They just need to know that it happened, and he's done. That's crazy. Yikes. Anyway, sorry, that just came across Twitter. I thought I'd, uh, thought I'd read that. Good old uh, non-breaking news, breaking news. Anyways, I want to get to a message that I got from Brooke on Patreon just to kind of address some of these things. Here's what uh, she had to say. Sorry, Brooke, if you didn't want this to be public, but it's it's somehow easier for me to do it this way than to type out a response. Plus, I mean, you know, it's content. Uh, she says, I like that the podcast Monday was so positive, but I have to say I was a little surprised. I see all your points, so I'm glad you did, but I was just so stressed the entire game. Ditto for all of us, by the way. Our statistic for defense in the red zone, we have allowed all of our opponents who get into the red zone to score. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the stat I saw during the game yesterday. Zero red zone stops. How can we say this defense is okay? The the nerdy issue I'm going to have is the nebulous word okay, because, you know, again, we've got got a range from good enough to perfect that okay could mean. And I think when I praise the defense, I'm leaning much more heavily toward the good enough category. Clearly there are issues. Red zone is, it, and, and to your point, red zone is not just a, aw shucks, that wish that was a little bit better. That's a, if we don't fix this, we're kind of, we're kind of doomed thing. But again, unlike some of the other areas, it doesn't carry with it the feeling that we can't do anything. For example, riddle me this. How does a team that always scores when they get in the red zone only score 22 points? In fact, nobody's scoring a lot of points against the Packers, despite the fact that everybody that gets into the red zone gets touchdowns. How does that happen? The answer is very few teams get into the red zone. That's the answer. That's the only answer that makes any sense. So again, eventually you're kind of, it's one of those things where you expect the dam to break, right? Very, very much like this game and a lot of other games where the defense is doing a great job. Let's say we get the ball, we go three and out, we give it to them, we stop them. Uh, we don't score again, we stop them. We don't score again, we stop them. That's three stops. At some point, you're looking at the saying, I'm happy for the defense, but if this offense doesn't do something, we're in trouble. Why? Because the dam's about to break. Eventually, this defense is going to start breaking down. They're going to start giving up more first downs, more yards, and eventually some scores, field goals, touchdowns, et cetera, et cetera. So similarly with this, if they don't fix this, it's going to become a problem. It doesn't, it doesn't take a genius to figure out the massive implications between seven points and three points, or, or God forbid, get a takeaway in there at some point, or, you know, well, whatever. However many options you can come up with. And in critical games, um, the difference between 
four points and three points throughout the course of four quarters against some high quality opponents is going to mean the difference between winning and losing. So 100% I'm with you. It's definitely not perfect. I think it's also, though, I think it is good enough. It is getting stops. It is doing a good job against the run, doing a good job against the pass, doing a good job with penalties, doing a good job with tackling, doing a good job with being, uh, you know, assignment sure, doing a good job of overcoming adversity with injuries, doing a good job with, you know, takeaways. There is one glaring issue in the red zone that does need to get fixed, but they're, they're overcoming that. You also mentioned something to the the effect of the Packers ranked 31st against the run. Um, that's not correct. The defense is 18th, which isn't great, but it's not 31st, it's 18th. Also, one of the issues with these really high ranks and everything else is that week one really skewed everything, right? 13th ranked offense, but we scored three points week one. That's a big part of the reason why, right? 20th on defense. Yeah, we gave up 38 week one. So since we scored three points, we scored 35, 30, 27, 25, right? Since we gave up 38, we gave up 17, 28, 17, 22. Those are pretty solid. And same with uh, rushing yards given up. Um, We gave up 171 against the Saints. After that, 108, 67, 62, and 103. None of the other four are that horrible, right? Just barely over 100 is is tolerable. It's the 171 that's glaring. And, And again, if we could just erase week one, which I know you can't, but if you could, we would rank quite high in a lot of categories instead of like in the middle. So, I mean, overall, the, the defense in terms of points is 20th. And again, a lot of that is because of 38 points against um, the, the Saints. They're actually ranked sixth in terms of yards, which is incredible. Uh, they're ranked sixth in turnovers with eight. Um, 11th in first downs given up. Seventh in uh, net yards per attempt passing. Sixth in, in interceptions. Again, 18th in rushing yards per attempt, 10th, top 10 in rushing touchdowns. So, I mean, and again, week one is really kind of skewing this quite a bit. They're doing a pretty good job. Turnover percentage, they're 7th. Scoring percentage, they're 14th, so better than average. So I, I get what you're saying, especially, and, and, and I, I agree. She goes on to say that I want to believe uh, we can make it all go away, make it all better. I was so confident, but uh, I just don't feel it. I, I don't really feel it right now either, and I don't think too many Packer fans feel this is a Super Bowl team. What I what I personally feel is this is a team that has 90% of what they need. They have the component of grit, the, the ability to overcome adversity, the ability to win when the chips are down, use the tools that you have, and make it work. They're going to have to build on that. Again, they're going to have to do better with red zone on offense and on defense. They're going to have to execute better across the board. The offense has to look closer to what they were in 2020 than what they do now. You know, Rodgers doesn't need to be MVP, but you would like to see him get a little bit better than he has been. Devontae's fine. He's doing great. The run game does need to improve. The offensive line does need to improve a little bit, especially in the run game. We would really like to be able to get something out of any other receiver, um, whether that be a wide receiver or a tight end, aside from just the onesie twosies, somebody's got to step up, whether it's Tunyon, Lazard, somebody. So, but but these are things that as we're plugging along and just finding really ugly ways to win, these are the things you can continue to build. And remember, it's just week five. Do I think this team wins a Super Bowl if the playoffs were today? No, I don't. I don't think they're better than Buffalo. I don't think they're better than Arizona. Um, I don't think they're better than Tampa. Those are probably the three teams that I don't know that we can beat right now. But I do think they have the components to do it. And I think if we get the guys back that we're missing, many of the guys back that we're missing, and continue to build, remember, a lot of the guys that we had last year, Aaron Rodgers was better in the second half of the year than the first half of the year. 
Uh, Devontae was better in the second half. Both of our safeties were better in the second half. Rashawn and Kenny were better in the second half. Entirely different team in the second half of the year than the first half. We don't know what the second half has in store. We don't know what Eric Stokes can be. We don't know what, the, what Kingsley Kiki can be. He may, have, he may be doing somewhat of a breakout. We'll have to see. We don't know what our safeties can be. Again, they had a real strong second half, not a super strong first half. Uh, we still haven't seen anybody emerge on the offense, and you have to assume that's going to happen. When we get Josh Myers and Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari back, you have to assume that's going to improve our run game. What does that do when Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are run, running all over everybody? So I don't, I don't want to give you false hope, and I don't want to lie to you or blow smoke or anything. I just want to kind of give you a different viewpoint of things. It's probably not as bad as you think, but I completely understand. We're all in the same boat. We're very stressed, very worried, very concerned, and we all see a lot of different issues. But we're four and one. We don't need to panic right now. We're doing just enough. We're doing everything that we need just to get the wins. And just understand that week five is not week 17. It's going to be a different team in week 17. Hopefully not worse. Hopefully not injured. But right now, it's just a matter of build up on what you got. Continue to improve. Keep building those tools. Stay healthy. And then we'll, we'll, we'll reevaluate as the season goes on. So that's sort of sort of my thought on all that. All right, let's um, let's real quick rip through some of these uh, PFF things, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, looking at what happened in this game from the vantage point of Pro Football Focus, I did put a little bit of this out there, not a ton. I know a lot of other people also are putting out some information about it, but uh, we'll look at it. We'll see what they had to say, and uh, we'll go about our business. Um, in this game, we had one elite player. One guy, high 80s, one, two, three, four, we'll call it five in the 70s. So seven total players that PFF said did a pretty good job. Um, Depending on how broad we want to call average-ish, I would say roughly three people graded out poorly. Um, Starting with that, Equinemius was dead last. Probably not a huge surprise, his run blocking, receiving, et cetera, et cetera. Alan Lazard was actually second from the bottom, also partly, largely due to his uh, run blocking, which was a little surprising, but it was also surprising to see him get blown up by corners um, making tackles on our wide receivers. It was definitely an off day. And then Lucas Patrick, um, that was kind of, we talked about that yesterday. He actually did very, very well as a pass blocker, but his run blocking was so bad. He had a 50.6 overall grade. He had an 85.2 pass blocking, which is phenomenal. Highest pass blocking grade of anybody along the offensive line, but a 39.3 run block. And and from my perspective, I'll probably just take him off the list because I'm fine with that. So really just two guys that were kind of troubling as far as their grades. Guys that graded out well, Randall Cobb with basically a 70 overall grade. Uh, Royce Newman, which is great to see because he was great in preseason and then just kind of fell off and hasn't really been doing anything. But 61 pass blocking, which isn't the greatest in the world, but I'll take it. 70 run blocking, second highest run blocking grade behind only Robert Tunyon, which... uh, he, how often did he even do that? 12 times? I guess we'll, we'll say second. Next highest grade was Aaron Jones, uh, 70 overall grade, 73 pass blocking, 75 rushing grade, um, 56 receiving grade. I'm not entirely sure why, but who cares? A.J. Dillon was the fourth highest graded guy, 72.2 overall grade. He had a 90 receiving grade. So I, I'm not going to do it today, but one of the things to check on is how the, the Packers are ranking across the NFL. I'm curious where he ranks as far as running backs as as far as their receiving grade goes. Uh, pass blocking, 73 overall, and then his running grade was a 64, which I guess kind of makes sense. He just kind of took what was given to him, which was almost nothing. Third highest was Aaron Rodgers. You love to see it. He's, his grades have been kind of 
stagnant this year. He's definitely not, I mean, he's not even in the top 10, so it's nice to see that. Number two, absolutely love to see it, Mercedes Lewis, 87 overall grade, 91.5 receiving grade. I, I, I got to look real quick. When was the last time he had that ever? I got to know. I just, I got to know. So 2020, he did have a 90.9, so that was actually pretty close. His second highest was a 70, so <laughs> there's that. Uh, let's see, he did have a 90, so he, he has like one of those a year. In 2019, he had a 91.6 against Detroit, so all right, I guess he has one of those a year, so there you go. This was his one, 91.5 overall grade. Um, and then a 75 pass blocking, because that's what he does, 60 run blocking, Number one, not surprising to anybody, Mr. Devontae Adams, 93.0 overall. I Every single year for the last three to four years, I say he probably, he probably topped out. Um, 2018, he had a 87.8 overall grade, and I said now is about the time when he starts to level off, right? He's been skyrocketing, 59, 72, 80, 87.8. He's not going to continue to go up. He goes from an 87.8 to an 88. All right, well, he's kind of leveling off now. He's going to start dipping down a little bit. You know, if he gets like an 85, that's solid. Nope, 92 overall in 2020. Okay, well, he's 100% maxed out now. He's not going any higher. He can't be any better. It's impossible. One of the greatest of all time at this point. He has to start coming down. Has to come down. There's nowhere to go. There's no no way to go higher than this. On, on, you know, when you average it out over a year, no way. 92 was last year. He's at a 92.4 right now. <laughs> He's just, I don't get it. I don't get it, but he's doing it. And that's with his week one being a 67.8 overall grade. So he's making up for lost time. Devontae is, I mean, legitimately, at some point, we got to start talking about, you know, talking about him in company with some of the greatest of all time. I mean, just how good he's been. The stats are there, the, the game to game, but also just when was the last time he was a bad receiver? He just, he's been solid. It's not like some of these guys were like, oh, he had a down year, whatever. No, he started off slow. But once he became a good receiver, he didn't turn around, and he just gets better every year. I mean, let me just pull up, like, Julio, just, just for comparison, right? I mean, nobody's going to look at Julio and say that the, the guy is just... So he, he had... So in 2011, he was kind of... You know, he's never bad, but 2011, he was like in the 70s. That was like year three for Devontae in the 70s. And his second year, though, is when he took off. 86, 80, 89, 92, 93, 91, 90, 90, 86. So he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. So Devontae's got one, two, three, four, five. So six, seven, eight, nine. So can he do four more years? I don't know if he can do four more years. But I just still incredible. And 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 again, the grades are 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 Julio-esque. You know, 87, 88, 92. So let's say from an 85-plus four years in a row with two of those being in the 90s. Uh, one, two, three. Yeah, I guess Julio had, starting in 2014, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in a row. And so far, 2021, he's at a 71. So he's it's coming down. New team, that whole thing. But I just, okay, so maybe not Julio level. But man, man. And even if you talk about some of the stats too, I mean, if you're, if you're talking touchdowns, Julio's got nothing on Devontae in terms of touchdowns. Julio Jones has never had 10 touchdowns in a season. Devontae had 20 last year. He also had 13 in 2018, 10 in 2017, 14 in 2016. I just, it's 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 crazy. And again, talking about perspective, and I, I understand, like, we're all nervous. Like, I'm glad Devontae's good, but, but we need a Super Bowl because I'm freaking out. Try as hard as you can to appreciate what you got because it's going to be gone sooner than later. 
whether it's Aaron Rodgers, Devontae, both, Bakhtiari, Kenny, whatever it is, look at what we have. Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers. Even the novelty guys like A.J. Dillon, Mercedes Lewis, Alan Lazard, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about, dude, remember how good Lazard was as a blocker? How crazy that was? Remember Mercedes Lewis, like he'd catch one pass a game and he'd bowl over 11 defenders? Kenny Clark, Zadarius, Preston, Rashawn, Jair, Savage, Amos. This is a this is a historically good Packers team. And I'm, I'm not just saying, I've done this podcast for a while. I promise you I was not saying this in 2018. This, this is going back to 2011, even. As good as that offense was, this is different. On some level, there's got to be some appreciation. And, 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 and yeah, for that exact reason, please win a Super Bowl. I get that. But um, it's, just, it's just, I know it's going to sting to be in the future and look back and go, man, I would just give anything. I'd give anything to go back to 2021. Do you remember how good that team was? We're going to be on our lads just looking at that roster from 2020 and 2021, salivating, going, I would give anything, anything to go back there. Anyways, looking at the blocking, uh, again, kind of went through some of the grades, but um, uh, let's just do this. We'll go by left tackle and work our way around. Yash Nijman, uh, Nyman, 63 run blocking, 76 pass blocking. I'll take it. He gave up two pressures. Unfortunately, both of them were sacks, but, you know, whatever. Left guard, John Runyon, uh, run blocking was a 53, pass blocking was basically an 80, 79-3. Again, I think I'm okay with that. Um, the run blocking does need to be a lot better because that is a major component of what a football team does. Um, but one hit, two hurries, three total pressures. Center was Lucas Patrick. Uh, again, horrific run blocking, but the best pass blocker on the team gave up zero, exactly zero pressures on the day. Right guard was Royce Newman, 70 run blocking, 61 pass blocking, gave up two pressures, which was a hit in a hurry. Right tackle, Billy Turner, uh, 52 run blocking, 64 pass blocking, gave up two hurries, uh, and that was it. We'll skip over to the defense now. Um, this was a little bit less as far as the good players and a little bit higher in terms of bad players. Again, kind of hard to draw a hard cutoff. Um, if we get down to like 53, you had Oren Burks, 51 overall grade was Yadam. The definitively bad players, 44 overall grade for Ladarius Hamilton, which, I mean, cut the guy some slack. I didn't even know he was on the team, so <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, better luck next week, bud. He did get two pressures, though. I'll take that. Two pressures on 11 attempts. Take that all day. Uh, TJ Slayton, surprisingly, 39.8 overall grade, largely because his run defense, I don't understand it, 36.4 overall grade. He has to be better than that. Darnell Savage with a 37.9. Again, I'm 100% going to cut him some slack. I know that was because of that big play. I mean, when your passer rating is a 156.3 when targeted, you give up uh, technically 83 yards and a touchdown, three receptions on four targets. I get it, but, you know, he needs to be a little bit better, but a 39, give me a 37, give me a break. And then dead last was Tyler Lancaster. Um, defensive line's been having some issues. We're starting to see glimmers of hope. Uh, Tyler had a good week last week, terrible this week. And again, you know, bigger guy, run defense was his biggest issue, and that's not really super acceptable. Guys that graded out pretty well, Jonathan Garvin with a 70 overall grade, Rashawn Gary, 71, Kevin King with a 76, can't remember the last time he was on top like that, Devondre Campbell with a 79 overall grade, and Kenny Clark was number one with an 80.3 overall grade. Kenny Clark continues to dominate. Um, 
I mean, it, certainly not perfect, but um, he's he's staying on top, and I like that. Pass rush wasn't quite as good. He only had one pressure on 35 attempts, which is not exactly what you want. In fact, let's run through that. Dean Lowry led the, the team on, on pressures, four on 26, including a sack and three hurries. Garvin had three on eight attempts, which is the most absurd thing I've heard in a while. <laughs> that's, that's a really high number. Um, a hit and two hurries. Uh, Ladarius Hamilton with two. Kingsley Kiki had two on 24 attempts. Preston had two on 25 attempts. TJ Slayton, one on nine. Oren, one on just two attempts. Rashawn, one on 30 attempts. That's way too low. Chris Barnes, one on one attempt. So way to go, Chris. And Kenny Clark, one on 35, as I said. Looking at the individualized grades, run defense, and this is where we kind of had a lot of guys struggling. Ladarius Hamilton, Eric Stokes, TJ Slayton, Tyler Lancaster, Chandon Sullivan, all horrific grades. Guys that graded out quite well, starting at, let's say, 68-ish. Uh, Chris Barnes, 68, Darnell Savage, 68, Kingsley, 68, Amos, 69, Preston, 76, Kenny, 76, Devondre Campbell, 76, Rashawn Gary, 79.9, led the team. Tackling, everybody was pretty solid with the exception of three guys, Eric Stokes, Kenny Clark, and Dean Lowry. Got to clean that up. Pass rush again, kind of already went over that as far as grades. Nobody was bad. Nobody was really great. Uh, Garvin, Lowry, and Barnes were in the 70s. Coverage, the guys with... Bad grades, we'll say in the 40s or lower, Preston, Yadam, and Savage. Preston needs to just stop covering guys. Good grades, Chandon Sullivan with a 73.2. You love to see that. Devondre Campbell with a 74, because obviously, and Kevin King with a 76.5. Highest coverage grade. Way to go, Kev. Love it. Got to get him on the show. (laughs) Statistics, uh, Stokes, eight targets, five receptions, 84 yards, and a pass breakup. Again, I I don't hate that. I'd like it to be a little bit lower than 84 yards. That's a little bit high, but I mean, I don't know. Amos, six targets, four receptions, uh, 24 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Chris Barnes, four targets, three receptions, 20 yards and nothing. Darnell Savage already went over. Chandon Sullivan, three targets, two receptions, only 11 yards. Kevin King, three targets, three receptions, 17 yards. Uh, Devondre Campbell, three targets, three receptions, 22 yards and a pick. Yadam, two targets, one reception, eight yards. Oren, one for one for five yards. And Preston, one for one for seven yards. Finally, special teams. And to be honest, we don't really need to go over the kickers. Mason graded out terribly. Uh, Bajorquez was graded out basically as average, but it, it wasn't great. Only had two punts. Um, as far as the, the players on special teams, again, it's, it's really frustrating. Zero players had a grade of 70. And I've just, for the sake of looking at it, because I'm like, well, does anybody ever get it? A lot of teams have many guys in like 70s, 80s, whatever, that do a really good job. Um, Highest graded guy was Malik Taylor with a 69.6. On the other side, Oren Burks, Yadam, and Henry Black rated out pretty terribly. So it's just kind of across the board, man. Everybody's um, Mason, you know, with a 26.9 grade. It's... uh, Special teams, it's got to get better. It's, I don't don't know what else to say about it, but... Kicking is bad. Coverage is bad. Uh, returning is bad. Again, Amari didn't really do anything. Two returns, uh, nine yards for punts. Uh, one return for 16 on kickoffs. It's just not good enough. But again, we got time. We'll get it figured out. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have yourselves a good one. Bye-bye.